0: Are you looking for a trusted property insurance partner to help your business grow and stay resilient? FM Global uses science, data, and research to help you make informed decisions. By working together, FM Global can help you grow your company with confidence and deliver the protection and expertise you need to thrive. We're also here to help you navigate the complex world of ESG. We'll work with you to identify and mitigate risks related to natural disasters and offer solutions that contribute to a more sustainable future. Let's prepare to prosper. This man was a
1: bona fide scrub. He can't play. This thing has dumpster fire written all over
0: it. Now their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages.
1: Bro, what are you talking about, man? Thanks for the hot take, Ooh. Andrew. You should have your
0: own show. Welcome to the South of Sanity podcast. I'm your host as always, Andrew Zimmel. How's it going, sports freaks? So, it's college football time. That's what this intro means. When you hear this, it means that we have a college football interview on this podcast and it's coming up right after this. I want to let you know that I talk to the best, to the brightest, the best possible people we could have on this podcast, we have them on. We got guys writing for local media. We got guys writing for national media. This is the best college football podcast to get you prepared for the 2019 2020 college football season. We talk about offenses. Which quarterback looks like a Heisman contender? We talk about running backs. Who's going to run for another 1,000 yard rushing season? We talk about the prima donna wide receivers. Are we expecting them to go to the draft early or should we expect your favorite undergraduate to stick around for another year? We talk about defenses. Which defensive end is going to eat up the most quarterbacks? Which secondary is going to pick off the most passes? And which corner is going to get burned the most times? And we talk about head coaches. Who's on the hot seat? Who's on the cool seat? And who will be the next Dabo Sweeney? We talk to guys that have more access than you and me combined, and that's a good thing. We want to know what this team stands for. We want to know how this team is going to do before we put on our face paint, load up our cooler, start the tailgate, call our bookie, cheer for our team. We need to know how this team is going to do. So without further ado, here is our guy only on the South of Sanity podcast. And on the phone line right now, Clint Lamb, Touchdown Alabama. He's our favorite Alabama fan. Haven't talked to him since the national championship, I'm pretty sure. Clint, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Andrew. How you doing today?
0: I'm doing pretty good. A lot of, lot of good stuff. Always day, good day to talk college football. All right, so before we jump into the X's and O's of this season and talk about what should we expect for the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2019, we have to talk about how great the season was last year for Alabama historically great offense the defense I thought had a little couple of hiccups around during the season but I thought that they for the most part still played very well what can we expect to carry over into 2019 from last year's championship contending team
1: well I think that first of all offensively you're going to have a lot of continuity outside of the fact that um, the offensive coordinator is um, going to be going back to Steve Sarkisian after he's been with the Atlanta Falcons the last couple of years, um, and with that continuity, you're talking about a Heisman caliber quarterback in Tua Valoa, the stable of receivers, um, a strong run game, an offensive line that lost uh, you know two and a half starters, I guess you would say, and um, Jonah Williams, who was a first round pick by the Cincinnati Bengals, Rosh Pierce Baker, um, who was I think a fifth round pick. To the Washington Redskins, and then of course Lester Cotton who started about half uh, the games last season. Deontay Brown um, was inserted into the starting lineup over him early on and then he ended up getting suspended for the college football playoffs, which allowed Cotton to get back into the lineup, but um, so, but there's still just a lot returning on that side of the football, and then defensively I think the key storyline is you're getting a lot of guys back from injury who could have had a major impact in 2018. You're talking about Travon Diggs would have probably been Alabama's top corner uh, last season. He goes down with an injury. Uh, Terrell Lewis, we all know about the torn ACL. It's very possible that he would have been Alabama's top pass rusher, even over a guy like uh, Christian Miller, or at least their top edge rusher. You did have the emergence of Quentin Williams. His absence will be pretty substantial for Alabama, and they'll have to get creative in how they try to replace him. But um, you know, overall, I think the defense can be really good outside of just a few small question marks, maybe the uh, inside linebacker position next to uh, Dylan Moses. There's a lot of guys that can end up starting in that spot, but it is some level of concern just because you know no one's really stood out uh, over the rest. And I think that that is something that Saban is going to try to identify uh, early on in fall camp and get a starter in there, or at least some kind of rotation of guys that can adequately replace Mac Wilson. So there is going to be a lot of continuity. Uh, which I think will be key. And any time that you're able to return um, you know, a Heisman-level quarterback like two, I mean, it's very important for your football team, and I do expect him to be competing for another Heisman in 2019 as well.
0: Unlike pretty much every other team in college football, outside of like four or five, head coach is solid. Nick Saban, nothing's going to change with that. You talk about Steve Sarkeesian, though. How do fans feel about Sarkeesian? Because as somebody on the outside looking in, I'm not a big Sarkeesian fan.
1: Yeah, and you're not, definitely not the only one. Um, there's actually a lot of Alabama fans who are not happy with the hire. The way that I look at it is this, though. Um, he was very uh, highly regarded prior to that stint um, or that game, I guess, where he was the offensive coordinator um, during Jalen Hurts' freshman season in the national championship game. And, you know, of course, he also struggled with the Atlanta Falcons, and and both situations can be justified. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody, but I try to look at, you know, I think that Saban made him the guy, A, to kind of, uh, you know, continue with this uh, comfort level, getting him back, and he has the experience with the Algonne program and and those things. But I think when he uh, had his first stint, as the OC when they played Clemson in the national championship. um, You know, it it was a very uh, extreme, you know, kind of came out of nowhere circumstances that surrounded him emerging as that guy um, rather quickly. I mean, the Lane Kiffin departure, um, the kind of controversy surrounding that just before the game, he went from being a guy that just had a major hand in the offensive game plan and creating it to the guy actually calling the plays, and that's a huge transition. And I think that you know, just with a short time frame, he tried to put all his all of his eggs in the uh, Bo Scarborough basket. We had all seen how he had performed against Auburn, Florida, and then Washington in the first round of the playoffs. He was on a pretty significant tear, and so he decided, hey, let's build this game plan around this guy. And if you remember, early in that game, it was successful. But then after he went down with a broken leg, you know, after you put all your eggs in that basket, he had a hard time adjusting on the fly, and, you know, there can be some criticism in there, maybe, uh, but at the same time, you wouldn't expect uh, anybody to be able to respond on that short of notice when you're trying to throw something together. And then I've also, you know, heard from people that are familiar with the Falcons um, franchise that, you know, when he got to Atlanta, he was replacing Kyle Shanahan, who had moved on to the 49ers. And, you know, Matt Ryan had seen, you know, career-type numbers under Shanahan and and had really done well the Falcons of course, had done really well, and so kind of the goal was for Shanahan to adjust the way that he did things to fit Matt Ryan and make Matt Ryan as comfortable as possible, and and, during that process, he made himself uncomfortable, and I think that the second year that he was uh, over there, you know, we saw a little bit better results, but I just think that he was never the right fit, Um, you know, whether it be for the NFL or for that specific franchise, I mean, that remains to be seen, but I just think that he's, that he's going to have at Alabama, you know, I totally could see him getting uh, back in the conversation of being a head coach eventually. I mean, when you're talking about um, Mike Loxley and what he was able to do with his one year as the offensive coordinator, I'm not saying that he didn't have a major hand in that, but at the same time, he had a ton of talent to work with at Alabama. Uh, you talk about, like I said, the receivers, the Heisman quarterbacks, um, you know, quarterback. You know, you had a great backup in Jalen Hurts. Um, it was just a perfect recipe for him to have a lot of success calling plays. And so uh, even though there could be some deficiencies with Steve Sarkeesian, I do think he uh, has a lot of success in Tuscaloosa.
0: Yeah. I, like I said, Sarkeesian, I think if I was an Alabama fan, you did meant you kind of sold me on. He only had one really bad game being the OC. I'm just, again, he's got a lot of toys to work with on the Alabama offense to a, I still think that he might be the best, second-best quarterback in college football this year. But the rest of the guys around him, there's three dudes on here that are legitimate Heisman contenders on this offense.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, you got you got to think. Jerry Judy and what he was able to do, I've watched him on tape, and every time I do, I'm in awe because he can do things that I haven't really seen a whole lot of other guys, whether that be on the collegiate level or on the NFL level, Um, Do And the comparisons to Odell Beckham are both very real and warranted, whether you're talking about his ability to create separation through his route running, um, his ability to make spectacular catches. Uh, You know, there has been people uh, kind of point to the fact that he hasn't been tested as far as being able to, um, you know, go up and get balls over guys, contested catches and things like that, because he's able to create so much separation with his route running. But it's the perfect combination with a quarterback like Tua Maloa because he's so accurate, and he could put the the ball placement is is probably one of his strong suits. And then you got these Alabama receivers that are able to to get open at all levels of the field and create a lot of separation through their route running. I mean, it's just it like I said, it's the perfect combination of guys, and I I do really think that this offense and and re- can be even better than it was. Last year, even though you've lost guys like Josh Jacobs and Jonah Williams, um, I'm not saying that they are are perfect even on paper yet. But the pieces are there for them to be really good. And if, if Sarkeesian can kind of take that step with getting comfortable with Tua and and those other guys, I really do think it could be pretty special.
0: And the other thing is too that because Tua is such a special player because he's such a great quarterback we are kind of forgetting what Alabama's bread and butter has been for the last decade and a half has been running backs. Najee Harris is still on this team. He still looks like a legitimate guy.
1: Absolutely. And you know, it's not just Najee Harris either. I mean, obviously he's going to be the front runner to, to lead the team in carries. Um, There's been a lot of people that think that he's going to be the the top back for one year. And then he's going to be able to, to go out and be a first round draft pick and, and, just for me evaluating him, I could totally see where there will be some appeal as far as him being a first-round pick. But I don't think he's the complete prospect that everybody thinks that he is right now. Um, I don't want to use the word overrated because you know I, I just I feel like he can live up to that hype, but he hasn't put it all together quite yet. But he'll get the opportunity to this season. But you're talking about Brian Robinson, another you know spectacular running back would have been a workhorse. Um, you know, t- in my opinion, top caliber SEC running back at pretty much any other school in the SEC or at least most schools. Uh, but just the fact that he was an Alabama stable, he was the number four guy last year. I think that he, his carry, um, the carry distribution between him and Najee will be a lot closer than people think. I don't think uh, Harris is going to have some Derrick Henry level usage. But uh, on top of that, you also have guys like Trey Sanders and Keelan Robinson coming in, a five-star, the number one running back in the country, and Trey Sanders, and then Keelan Robinson, who is more of a smaller scat back um, that is really the perfect complementary guy. When you talk about the power from Najee and Brian Robinson uh, that they bring to the table, a guy like Keelan Robinson can really come in and find a niche, being an elite receiving option out of the backfield for Tua. Uh, Now, am I fan that he's going to be? an instant impact freshman no absolutely not and there's really no guarantee that it will even be in the rotation as a true freshman but i do think that he has the ability um, if given a chance to to make an impact in this Alabama offense as well
0: so let's just say for the sake of argument cuz i want to pick on Tua a little bit here he was kind of banged up last year i think that he's a good he's got a really good pocket presence but he's got this bad knee and it kind of Hampered him all season last year. Alabama doesn't play in the national championship if they don't have Jalen Hurts in the wing. Should Alabama fans be worried about the health of Tua coming into the season?
1: Uh, you know, speaking candidly, yes. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of Alabama fans that get upset with me saying that. And there's probably going to be um, some people that cover Alabama that are going to be upset with me saying that. But uh, from me watching him, and I, I really um, try to get a good feel for people's body language And just, you know, kind of try to figure out where they're at mentally. And I think that for the most part, he's fine. It's like, you know, Saban alluded to um, back during the uh, meetings down in Destin. Um, He did mention that he wants to uh, get back into better shape. And a lot of people took that comment and thought, you know, he thinks that he's overweight or, you know, and I I don't think that it was that at all. I think it's just he's he's not in that, um, you know, tip top football shape that you're looking for because he's been dealing with so many. Lower body injuries that prevented him from doing a lot of things. Um, and then, of course, you know, get back in mental shape too. I think that's a lot of it. Um, there was a swagger to his game early on last season. And it wasn't just the defenses he was pl- going against. I understand that there were a lot simpler um, or easier defenses early on, but there was a swagger about it. And you didn't see that once the injury started, at least not to the same degree. And, you know, I think a lot of fans, and and me in particular, I was hoping to see that from him in the spring, and and that's kind of sometimes hard to judge, but I didn't see it. And you can, there was a few times where he kind of was trying to avoid pressure, and he hopped out of the way, and he kind of kicked his legs up, and you can just tell that he was still thinking about those lower body injuries, and I don't think it was a physical thing at all. I think he's 100% healthy, at least right now. It's just from a mental standpoint. He's trying to get over that. And, you know, probably the first time that he gets a live hit in a football game, you know, low and he gets up and he's completely fine, it'll go away. But um, it's a matter of him getting back to that same level of confidence that he was at um, at the beginning of last season. And for a majority of the season, it just kind of deteriorated a little bit as the season wore on. But we also kind of saw the same thing from Jalen Hurt. He went from, you know, having a lot more confidence as a true freshman um, to, you know, during his sophomore season. He really struggled. That's everybody's pointed to the fact that he didn't have a whole lot of interceptions. Um, you know, I, I think it was because he wasn't taking any sort of risk and that was actually, you know, hindering his performance and the offense performance because he was so scared to make a mistake and he had lost a lot of the confidence that he had as a true freshman. And then last season, even though he wasn't a starter, um, his game really improved. He got some of that confidence back and you saw it make a world of difference with his game. So it's not like Tua can't get it back. It's just um, it's going to take some time. I don't think it should, people should be overly concerned, but you've got to at least acknowledge that um, maybe he's not quite 100% yet.
0: You mentioned the confidence. They put 62 points on old Miss in September. Then the, in November, they put up 52 in Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And after that, Georgia 35, that's when he gets the injury. Oklahoma, he struggled. They only put up 45 points. And then in the national championship, you got to think something was wrong with him there where they only score 16 points and he just plays probably the worst game of his collegiate career.
1: Well, you know, I think that he showed some signs of of that elite player that we've come to see. Uh, Especially, you know, one of the things about him that I've always thought set him apart was his ability to respond after a mistake, whether it was a true freshman, you know, throwing interceptions, uh, obviously, in the national championship game against Georgia, he takes an unnecessary sack um, on first down and overtime and then immediately responds to that game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Smith. Um, but, you know, after that first interception against Clemson early on, he immediately bounced back and, and was responding well. But then I think it was just a snowball effect. And, I, you know, it, it, Clemson was doing a lot of things defensively, both pre-snap and post-snap. Um, that was, you know, actually uh, throwing him for a loop and causing him some sort of concerns uh, from a mental standpoint. And between that and this, just the lack of confidence in his uh, body physically, I think things just kind of snowballed. And the defense was not, you know, helping them in a lot of ways. They were doing a really good job on early downs against Clemson. But um, Trevor Lawrence, once he started finding his groove, was causing them a lot of problems and they were putting up points. And you were trying to play keep up while dealing with all this other stuff. And I think it was just a snowball effect that kind of ended up creating the situation that we saw.
0: So let's talk about the defense. What can you tell me about the defense for Alabama? Who are some standout players that we should be looking for this year?
1: Uh, I think it's all dependent on what you're kind of looking for. Uh, I think that the first guy that comes to mind for me, and I've been kind of singing his praises for the last couple of years and, and injuries have slowed them down in both seasons, and that's uh, Terrell Lewis. I think that he has the ability to be the top um, edge rusher that Alabama has had during the Nick Saban era. I think that just between his length, violent hands, plays the run well, um, you know, can really get after the quarterback when he's feeling good. Um, he's definitely got to keep a lookout for, and if he can end up. Staying healthy for the entire season, I think we'll be talking about him as a potential top-ten pick next year. But that health is a a major question mark. Um, You know, a lot of people will talk about Dylan Moses. Obviously, um, he's got some growing to do from a mental standpoint, but from a physical standpoint, very rare breed. Um, He could probably stand gain a little bit of weight so he can hold up better filling lanes, stacking and shedding offensive linemen. But he has the ability uh, to get sideline on the sideline, he's got the length, uh, being 6'3", and he has the build and the physicality um, and the speed and just really everything you look for to be a future um, top linebacker in the NFL. So that's another one, of course, to look out for. Um, And then if if you're looking for that guy to kind of take the next step Uh, based off of the progression that he made, the kind of Quentin Williams step. I'm not saying he's going to be as dominant as Quentin Williams. That's very tough for anybody to do. But just you see a guy that was kind of in the rotation like Quentin for a couple years, finally gets his chance to start, and then ends up shining and emerging as a a top five NFL draft pick. Uh, Maybe not quite to that degree, but a guy that could follow a similar path to me is LeBron Ray. I think that he's going to be crucial to Alabama trying to replace the inside pass rush uh, productivity that they lost from Quentin Williams. Um, he's not going to be, of course, playing the no-sack position like you did, but he is the guy on the interior of that defensive line who could end up being the top pass rusher. You're going to have Raquan Davis there still, and I would fully expect him to have a bounce-back year and be able to get up to the quarterback a little bit as well. But LeBron Ray is one to look out for as far as that guy taking the next step. And, you know, truly I could see him end up being a a mid-to-late first-round pick if all things go according to plan and where some of these defensive linemen have been valued according to uh, NFL evaluators, whether you're talking about Duron Payne, Jonathan Allen, or Quinton Williams. uh, The last few years have been good to guys that have been very productive. Um, And I definitely could see that being a LeBron Ray type. So that's another one to look out for
0: seven returners on defense i really like that defensive unit i think that they're going to have a pretty big impact in the sec of course it's the big boy conference it's the ground and pound you know in the trenches type of conference so i'm going to ask a question that should make alabama fans everywhere kind of cringe a little bit special teams has never been the you know forte of the nick saban era do they have a kicker that we can trust
1: you want to say that they do. I mean, obviously, they landed the number one kicker in the country in Will Reichard um, out of Hoover. He has looked good from, you know, the times that I've been able to get miles on him personally, from things that I've heard from other people. He's kind of got that clutch gene. Mm. Uh, they've, had, they've had guys, you know, Joseph Belovis, who had talent, had a strong leg, but from a clutch factor and mental standpoint, uh, it just hadn't really panned out for him. And I think that they might finally have that in a guy like Will Reichard. And I think that he's going to be in a position uh, to really put up, um, you know, solid statistics even as a true freshman. Um, when you look at the how successful Alabama's offense should be, um, they're going to get, you know, down in, you know, field goal range quite a bit. Now I think they're going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns obviously, which could take away from him. But uh, the opportunities will present themselves for a guy – like him to be able to step up and if he can get some early momentum and some early confidence it could really do you know wonders for this Alabama team in general you know you talk about how dominant they've been on defense and they've kind of complemented that with a you know kind of ground and pound run uh oriented type of offense and then they've transitioned to a high-powered offense and the defense has remained at least fairly elite so you've got those two combinations what you've really lacked is just a consistent uh, kicking game to continue to put points on the board. There was a lot of missed extra points last season, uh, missed field goals, things of that nature. When you start you know, getting a guy in there that can consistently make kicks, it's going to take this entire team to a completely new level.
0: So let's talk about the schedule. It feels like this is the easiest schedule that Alabama has had in a long time. Outside of having to go to Kyle Field, they get to host LSU, and then having to go to Auburn – but the rest of the schedule kind of feels easy, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, um, and and I'll say this. When you talk about uh, scheduling, this is one of those situations where Alabama is going to be criticized all season, no matter how good they look, for their lack of a quality schedule. As it sits right now, that, that needs to be emphasized because a lot can change. And it's worked against Alabama in years past when you talk about the way that Florida State looked on the schedule prior to the season actually unfolding. You know, that was the game of the century, you know, uh, whatever they want to call it um, for the opening weekend. And then they end up barely making a bowl game and people criticize them for having that game on the schedule. It was a, a very stark difference from start to finish. You know, some of these teams, uh, you know, whether it be a Texas AM, whether it be, you know, potentially a South Carolina, an LSU. Um, even maybe a Tennessee, there's teams on the schedule that could end up being better than a lot of people had predicted, and that could help Alabama strength of schedule. Uh, But as it sits right now, I mean, it's ranked dead last as far as, um, you know, the strength of schedule amongst all 14 SEC teams, and it should be. When you look at it uh, right now on paper, it looks – I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It just all ended up working out. Auburn is probably, to me – um, you know, and, and I hate to say this because normally when they're supposed to be really good, they end up underperforming, and when they're supposed to be, you know, fairly bad, they end up overperforming. Um, but I could totally see them uh, being in a situation where they're losing four or five games again this year. And if that's the case, you know, that's not a difficult game. Of course, you're talking about um, you know Texas A&M as good as they could be. You know, they could also be a, a three to maybe even four loss team themselves. Uh, and it's just it's hard to find a at least just one um, elite team on this schedule. Now, what you got to think is more than likely Georgia's is going to be extremely strong in the SEC East again. Uh, whether it be them or Florida or someone else, you know they should be a top team. And if Alabama's schedule is so. Um, you know, easy over the course of the season, more than likely they're going to dominate every opponent and they're going to get to the SEC championship game. And then, um, they're going to actually play a difficult opponent. So that's something to keep an eye on. But as far as having any sort of gauntlet, there's no point in the season. I'm not saying they can't drop a game, especially if they're not taking the schedule seriously. And that's something that I guarantee you, you're going to hear multiple times from Saban. Someone's going to ask him a question about the schedule and he's going to go postal. He always does. Um, and, and especially this season because it's going to be hard to keep these guys up over the course of twelve games in the regular season simply because you know there's there's not that team that at least not right now that looks really good, um. So yeah, that'll be pretty interesting to see. But there's no doubt it's going to be a, a fairly easy schedule for them.
0: It's crazy to me to look at the schedule and think that this is the easiest one. I talked to Clemson earlier in this like podcast series and they all said like, yeah, you know, I think somebody's going to get us because that's just how it's looking. Can Alabama go off and win 14 straight games and get to the national championship again?
1: I think so. Um, I think that the problem will be, uh, and I think that it's been, you know, Saban has alluded to this kind of in years past. He's enjoyed having a, a top, Ranked game early on in the season, especially week one, because it really not only is it great for recruiting, but it really kind of sets up you know strong momentum heading into the year. Uh, And they've done obviously had a lot of success doing it. Uh, They haven't lost an opening game under Saban, Um, and with this season, you're talking about them not having that ability. Now, does that mean that they're you know that detrimental? Absolutely not. But when they get to the SEC championship. If they do get there, or and if they do get to the college football playoff, and they do get to the national championship, you know at that point you'll start seeing them run into much stronger opponents, and we'll get to see the, the big criticism is going to be no matter how good they look, people are going to be questioning how good would they look against the top, uh you know defenses in the country, and that'll be the storyline that you'll get. You know they're they're not going to be playing the the Dukes and uh, and the you know whoever else it is that you want to. You know, throw out on the schedule. I don't want to offend anybody or anything, but you know, they're not going to be playing those caliber defenses. They're going to be playing the Georges and the Clemson's and you know those types of, of uh, talent on that side of the football. And you know, and really just teams in general. It goes for both sides. Um, but how will they respond when they do? And I think that will be interesting to see how Nick Saban and the rest of the coaching staff manages that all season uh, and. You know, really just how this team responds in general to having a, an overly difficult schedule, or excuse me, overly uh, easy schedule.
0: It's crazy because this is the first time that I remember in the Nick Saban era where the schedule didn't help them out. Usually it was even if they lose a game early in the season, there's a chance that they could still get to the national championship being a one-loss team. Now if they drop any game this year outside of, the say, the SEC championship game, they're not going to go anywhere. You know, it's this is the first time that I can think the schedule is not helping Alabama out.
1: Well, I do think, um, you know, it, it, I think actually the SEC championship game, uh, and maybe really in any situation, then uh, this might sound strange, but I think that Alabama gets in with one loss no matter what, and I'll tell you why: um, the fact that if they lose the game in the regular season, but they still win the SEC, and they're a one-loss Alabama team that won their conference. I think they're in, regardless of if you can say, you know, that they oh they dropped the game to South Carolina or 6A&M and, and, you know, whoever it ends up being if they do end up losing the game. Uh, and then, of course, if they get to the SEC championship and they're undefeated and they've kind of, uh, you know, gotten the job done against all these subpar opponents or the – opponents that people were expecting to be subpar. I want to keep emphasizing that because it's <laughs> not automatic. Um, but if if they dominate all those opponents and they lose a close game to a Georgia, you know, I still think with it being the Alabama factor, they're going to be in the conversation. And while people are going to criticize that schedule, um, I think, you know, it's going to be a situation where they still end up uh, getting in. I mean, you look at the fact that a couple of years ago, they were able to sneak in with Georgia um, and that was when they had played Florida State and everybody was really criticizing, you know, the, the, by far their toughest game was Auburn up to that point, and they lost that game. And really, in a lot of ways, even though the scoreboard didn't show it, they got handled uh, pretty handedly in that game. And they were still able to, to get put into the playoffs. So I just think that with the Alabama allure that's going on in college football and the success they've had, uh, they could very well. And I think it takes two losses to keep them out, to be
0: honest. They're going to get grandfathered in again. All right, last thing: Jalen Hurts transfers to Oklahoma. Can we expect to see an Alabama-Oklahoma playoff game at some point?
1: Um, it's very possible. Uh, and you know that that system under Lincoln Riley is going to do wonders for a guy like Jalen Hurts. To expect him to have the same level of success as a Baker Mayfield or a Kyler Murray may be unfair, um, simply because those guys have you know, from start to finish, um, you know, NFL tools. Um, and you can sit there and say Lincoln Riley had a lot to do with that, and you'd absolutely be right uh, to some degree. But, um, you know, I just think that Jalen has a skill set that fits well with what they're going to ask him to do, not with necessarily what they ask Kyler or Baker to do, but I'll, that's what I love about Lincoln Riley. He's very innovative. He can, you know, tailor make his offense to – uh, the quarterback who's running it, and I think that that will really help him. The defense should be somewhat improved, um, but I still think they're going to be a you know kind of bottom-half defense in the country, and, and that's, of course, always going to be something that when they get to playing, you know, the, 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 the big guys um, in the college football playoffs, can they, you know, go against an elite defense? And I guess a couple years ago when you're talking about Baker against Georgia and, and that group as a whole – they actually found a lot of success in the first half. Now once Georgia started figuring them out, um, you know, they didn't have nearly the same uh, amount of success in the second half. Um, so, you know, that'll be interesting to see, but I do think that if the the committee is in a position where Oklahoma is a playoff team and Alabama is too, they would love that storyline. Um, and, you know, it kind of be, would be a dream come true for them. So, it is very possible Texas is going to compete in the Big 12, obviously. So it shouldn't just be assumed that it's going to be Oklahoma that ends up making it. And I definitely don't think two Big 12 teams uh, make it into the College World <laughs> Playoff. But um, there's certainly a a possibility for it, and it would probably be one of the biggest games that I can remember in the Nick Saban era, just because you talk about the storylines between you know Tua and Jalen and the relationships and Saban and Jalen and all the you know, questions and, and just the ups and downs that you're talking about, that would be an absolute dream from my perspective and from a lot of people's perspective, just getting to cover it. I mean, it would be, you know, you know, spectacular.
0: Last thing, again, before we let you go, tell us one thing that you think is not getting covered enough about Alabama football. I know that's hard because it's 24-7 media cycle down there, but what's one thing that fans don't know that they're going to learn in late October, November about this team that you know right now.
1: Um, you know, if I had to pick one thing, and, and that's a very interesting question. Um, I think Alabama has a chance to have an absolutely dominant offensive line, um, and with just the and that's why I think they can be so special um, on offense. You talk about the skill positions and the quarterbacks and the running backs, but this offensive line, I mean, I like. Uh, Alex Leatherwood getting kicked over to left tackle. I think that's his natural position. He played out of position last year at right guard. Uh, Jedrick Wills at right tackle. I think he has the the makeup of a a potential first-round pick in the future. Uh, He's a mauler in the run game. I think once you get Deontay Brown back, he really started to hit his stride at guard. Um, I'm a huge fan of Emil Ikior, uh, Evan Neal. Uh, is a was a five-star true freshman, the number one offensive tackle coming out of high school. He's absolutely massive, six seven, six eight, three hundred fifty pounds. Uh, he could get some work at guard, but I'm more so, you know, he's, he's probably got a future at, at offensive tackle. But right now, just with them having the two tackle spots locked up, they're trying to get him into the lineup somewhere, at least um, some playing time. And and he looks pretty good at left guard when he's gotten in. So I think they have a lot of depth there. Chris Owens going to be taking over for Rosh Pierce Baker. Um, he showed some flashes. He played some left tackle last year. But I ultimately think that he'll end up being at least an effective guard. Um, but you're talking about just the depth there and the talent. They can be absolutely dominant. And while Alabama has had a really good offensive line, you know, really wins the last time that we saw them have just a, an offensive line that, that took the will away from opposing defenses. And you know, you, when you look back at offensive lines like the one against Notre Dame in the national championship back in 2012, I mean, just, you know, going against Man and that, you know, supposedly elite defense, They you watched it over the course of, you know, at least the first two or three quarters. And by the fourth quarter, I mean, it was done. But you saw them literally take their will away. And the offensive line had a lot to do with that. It, they just they manhandled them from start to finish. And I think that Alabama has the potential to have that type of offensive line if things come together. So, you know, you combine that with the stable and running backs and the receivers – I mean, I think that it could end up being a pretty special year for both its offensive line and for uh, Alabama's offense in general.
0: All right, Clint, tell them where they can find you, where they can see all your work, and what you're doing right now covering the Tide.
1: Yeah, um, you can catch me on Twitter at Clint R. Lamb. Uh, Right now, I've actually recently joined up with uh, Cecil Hurt um, and the uh, the Bama Beat podcast covering Alabama for Tidesports.com. And then I also am the managing editor for a new site that's going to be called Roll Todd Wire through USA Today. Um, that's actually going to be in, launching, I think, next week. We've already started to kind of roll out some content and stuff for it and put things together. So that's really exciting. I can't wait to get started on that. And uh, got, you can catch my written content on there and then these things through podcast form you can check out with uh, the Bama Beat on com.
0: Thanks so much for coming on, man.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Andrew. Take it easy, man.
0: Nobody does it better than Clint. I've been telling people all over America that Clint Lamb and those guys over there in Alabama do it the right way. We're going to have to check out his content as like the season continues. I'm going to have to c- contact him again because, like I said, every time Clint comes on the podcast, it's a great podcast. So, Alabama, Vegas has them at 11 and a half. I'm taking the over. I think that this is a team that if they're going to lose a game, it's going to be... One, I don't see them losing more than two games. Let's just go down my bullet points because Clint really broke it down for us. He kind of told us everything that we need to be looking for this year. I don't know how much more I can add, but I'm going to try. Two is the real deal. I don't know what else you can say about him at this point because he has been just such a lightning rod. The only thing that he did wrong was not be healthy in the national championship game. That's all that was. And it's not his fault that he was banged up. That's how it is. That's sports. You're going to get banged up. There's nothing he could have done. Outside of the fact that he's been a little bit unhealthy, not being able to stay upright is a problem. But besides that, he's been a very solid quarterback. He's been very. He's been better than a very solid quarterback. Shoot, he was a runner-up for the Heisman last year. He threw 43 touchdowns. He is such a good dude, and he seems like a good guy. He doesn't seem like the type of dude that you couldn't root against. The only thing that could make you root against this guy is because he plays for the Crimson side. But besides that, that's it. Uh, I think that Sarkeesian has, this is the best quarterback that he's going to ever coach. And that's saying something because he was in the NFL for a year. To me, it's to this point, the two is the best quarterback that he has had that he has been able to coach. So I think that that's going to add a lot to it. I think Sarkeesian, like Clint said, I'm not a big Sarkeesian fan, but I think that he's going to add a little bit more to the offense. I think he's going to be a better offensive coordinator than whoever they had last year. And let's go down to the second point. Uh, the fact that they've got a wide receiver board, that or wide receiver crew, that there's going to be two or three of these guys that are in the NFL next year. And from top to bottom, even at tight end, where there's a couple questions, this seems like a very solid roster for dudes that can catch the ball, for pass catchers. This seems like the type of lineup that really can make an impact, really can make a difference early on in the season. The thing is now about Nick Saban is that he's going after that lucrative six title at Alabama. Uh, I think there's a good chance that this is the year. I still like Clemson on paper. Clemson's still my national champion favorite. A lot of people, I saw a couple people pick Alabama over Clemson this next time I like the idea that it's just gonna go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between these two teams but I think that there is a chip on Alabama's shoulder this is the only team in the country that has this and it's not Tua the only team in the country that has this chip on their shoulder of getting embarrassed in the national championship now Notre Dame could say the same thing about the way that they got their butts whooped in the college Bowl playoffs but The national championship, Alabama putting up an egg the way that they did after all the hype. There are so many people that was picking this Alabama Crimson Tide team over Clemson last year that I think that this is a chip on their shoulder that the size of an elephant, get it? The joke's there, uh, that they're going to carry until they win the title this year. And Nick Saban is that type of coach to put that bulletin board material up and remind them every day, the guys that were here last year, hey, listen, this is uh, the goal. The goal isn't the SEC West. The goal isn't the SEC. The goal isn't the first round of the playoffs. The goal is to win the national title. Okay, getting there isn't good enough anymore. For Alabama, it's championship or bust. And and that's not fair, you know. That's not fair to the players who uh, are just, you know, are happy with the SEC West title. That's not hap- or fair to the people that are just trying to win the SEC. But at the same time, I think fans have that expectation of this team because of the success that they've had. The the national title or bust. So, my bold prediction for the Alabama Crimson Tide going into the 2019 season is I think they have the biggest point differential in the nation again. I think that Clemson's going to play a couple games that aren't going to be. They're not going to. No game's going to be close with Clemson, but there's going to be a couple games where it's a two touchdown score. I think Alabama's going to do a really good job, especially with the schedule they have, of. Beating teams by a lot of points. Point differential doesn't always tell the whole story, but I think it's going to tell the story a little bit in this season for Alabama. I really like Alabama to get back to the national title. It would be a lot of fun to see Dabo versus Saban. I think this is, what, third installment of that? Fourth installment of that at this point? I'm excited to see it nevertheless. So thank you for listening to the South outstanding podcast. If you listened to this podcast before, you know what I'm about to say. We're we're everywhere. The iHeartRadio app, the number one podcasting app in the world, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Anywhere you can find your podcast, you can find the South of Sanity podcast. This podcast is growing substantially. I talk to people all the time, and they tell me, "Hey, listen, this is uh, I never listened to your podcast before, and I picked it up after you did the ACC thing. Because if you haven't listened before, all the episodes are still there. This is episode eight of the SEC section, but." We have an entire ACC section that's already in the archives, ready for you to listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's all there for you. But I have people come up to me all the time and tell me, Andrew, I never listened to your podcast, but my boyfriend was interested, or my friend was interested, or my cousin went to a family reunion, and he put me on this podcast, and now I can't stop listening to it. We bring on guests that you're not going to hear on your ESPNs and your Fox Sports. We're better than Cowherd. We're better than Stephen A. We are out here doing things that actually matter. We're bringing on... The good people, Clint Lamb, great guy. John Clay for Kentucky, great guy. We're bringing on SB Nation writers. We're bringing on the little guys to give them a voice because this is a fan first podcast. This is the podcast that you can listen to to get all your information. So, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please go back and listen to the rest of them, and please continue to send our content to the corners of the sporting world. You are the army that is going to carry me to the very top, baby. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe. Peace out, sports freaks.